My name is Jeremy Williams, and I have the honor and privilege of serving as the student pastor here at Solid Rock. And uh, Jason, our, our lead pastor, is, is not here today, spending some time with his family, much needed time with his family. And so he's given me the opportunity to be able to preach on his behalf. And I love that opportunity, and so I'm very excited for that. Um, let me begin by saying I hope you had a great Christmas. Who had a great Christmas? Okay. Not everybody's raising their hand. That's sad. Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, hopefully you're just you're shy or whatever. Um, and we, so we hope you had a great Christmas, and we know that New Year's is just around the corner, and we hope you have a, a safe and happy New Year as well. Um, but I want to start off by telling you guys uh, one of my favorite things to do as a uh, teacher in White Settlement ISD. So along with being on staff here at Solid Rock, I, I'm also a fifth grade teacher in White Settlement. And one of my favorite things to do every single year is at the end of the year, and it's something called Field Day, okay? Raise your hand if you've ever been a part of Field Day, participated. All right, more hands. Okay, we care more about Field Day than Christmas. Awesome. Um, anyway, love Field Day, okay? Probably because it's the end of the year, and we know the end of the year is coming, and that's pretty fantastic for a teacher. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Um, but the reason I love Field Day so much is because I'm able to see students get out there and compete in these different Field Day events. Love that. And my, my favorite Field Day event, it's not the football toss, it's not the tug of war, it, it's, it's not the long jump, but my favorite Field Day events are the races. Okay, anybody a, a racer out there? You don't have to raise your hand. Oh, she is? Okay. You, you raise your hand, girl. She's a racer. Okay. The reason I love the field day races is because, you know, I watch the students and they get up there in their respective place and uh, on the track and, and, and then they wait for the PE coach to say, on your mark, get set, go, and, and they are off, right? And they're running as hard and as fast as they can with the hopes of crossing the finish line. That's the prize at the end of the race. And one thing that I personally love to do is and when they're rounding that, that last curve on the track, then I will get alongside them, not on the track because tripping kids is frowned upon, but I, I get next to them and they are running and when they're at that last stretch of the race, then I get to just run alongside them and cheer them on and say, hey, go, keep finishing, finish hard. You're almost there. It's one of my favorite, favorite things to do. And, and the reason that I love to do that is because when they finally reach that finish line, I'm, I'm so proud of them. Because what they did is they gave it everything they had. And of course, the team that I represent as a teacher, I want to be in first place. Don't get me wrong. But uh, whenever they cross the finish line and everybody's there, then uh, I consider that a win as well because they gave it everything they had to, to get across this finish line because that, as I said, is the prize that laid before them and they were able to accomplish that. They were able to achieve that. And what I want to talk to you about today is racing toward the prize that lies ahead for us as Christians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, if you want to go ahead and turn there. And Paul's words in this section of Scripture paint a picture of a Christian who is in a race and doing everything that they can in order to finish and finish well. And the reason they do this is because they look forward to receiving the prize at the end. And that prize for the Christian is the prize of heaven. Amen. And like I cheer those students on at field day, I want to cheer you on and cheer myself on, so to, speak, so to speak, by giving us three ways that we can race toward the prize that lies ahead. 
But first, I'm going to read this passage of Scripture. And actually, every Wednesday when we have student ministry, we talk about our three essentials. Okay? And so we're going to do that right now. So I have everybody hold up their three essentials whenever I talk about it. So go ahead and hold up your copy of God's Word if you have it. That's essential number one. Okay? And then hold up a a note-taking pad or something like that if you have that. Fantastic. And then hold up a pen if you've got that. Okay? All right. Three essentials. Awesome. Well, let me go ahead and read this, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Also let us hold true to what we have attained. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform uh, our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray this morning as I speak your word, Lord, that it not be my words, but it be you speaking through me to reveal the truth of what it means to look forward to the prize that lies ahead, and that prize is heaven. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you give us the opportunity to look forward to that. You sent your son Jesus when you didn't have to, to die for us and to be resurrected. When you put our faith and trust in him, that is the prize that we have to look forward to, and I'm thankful and grateful for that. Bless this time together. I pray this in your name. Amen. So the, the first way that we can race toward the prize that lies ahead is by always looking forward and not backwards. Let me read verses 12 through 14 again and listen to the words of Paul that he uses about moving forward. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Amen to that. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, Again, I press on toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, throughout this whole book of Philippians, Paul consistently writes about what it looks like to look forward to what is in the future for him. And for Paul, that wonderful, glorious, amazing thing that he was looking forward to was to meet Jesus face to face. And in order to get to that point, he knows that he has to keep on moving forward. He he wasn't there yet. There was work that still needed to be done. There were still souls that still needed to hear and be changed by the gospel. And moving forward for Paul meant that he didn't have time to dwell on what was behind him. You know, he says in verse 13, he forgets what lies behind and he looks forward to what lies ahead. 
You know, for Paul, for forgetting what lies behind meant two things. Number one, it meant that he wasn't going to be defined by his past. You know, before Jesus got a hold of Paul, I don't know if you know this, but he was a Christian murderer. In Acts chapter 8, he says that he approved of the execution of one of Jesus' disciples named Stephen. Another translation of this same verse says that he was in hearty or joyful agreement over Stephen's execution. And as a follower of Christ, Jesus boldly preached the gospel and Paul happily supported his execution. That's who Paul was before. And this is just one of multiple instances where Paul helped to make sure that Christians were either persecuted or killed or both. Imagine having that kind of past. But Paul goes on to say he forgets all that junk. When he became a Christ follower, that's not what he was defined by anymore. The second thing that forgetting what lies behind meant for Paul was that he wasn't going to be defined by his good works either. You know, even though he persecuted Christians, Paul was quite the religious follower back then. In fact, if you go up to verses 4, 5, and 6 in that same chapter of Philippians 3, let me read that to you. Listen to what he says here. Chapter 3, verses 4, 5, and 6, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. So he's saying, though I have, I have reason to be confident in being a religious follower. If anyone else thinks he has reason to have confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, meaning he found himself justified by the law, he considered himself blameless. And that's because according to the law and doing good deeds, that was who Paul was. But Paul discovered that it wasn't his good deeds or following the law that saved him, but it was following Jesus. Because that life of following the law and following all the rules was what laid behind him. Then in verses 15 and 16, Paul essentially says to Philippians, Hey, Philippian people, as mature Christians, the mindset that you have to have is this. That you have to be pressing forward to what lies ahead. And then all that junk behind you, that old life, that is to be forgotten. That's not what defines you anymore. And if you don't have this mindset, Paul was confident that God was going to reveal it to the Philippian people because as Christians, we have to hold on to the truth of what the gospel has to say and know that it is the right thing. You know, since I was in about third grade, I have this really good friend whose name is Seth. In fact, I think we have a picture of him we're going to show you guys. This is Seth with with his children, good friend of mine. Well, what you don't know about Seth is not long ago, he went to prison for about a year and a half for drug abuse. And in that time where he was incarcerated, him and I wrote letters back and forth to each other where I was able to uh, encourage him and send him Bible verses. And, and, And really more than that, what was more encouraging to me is through his letters, I was able to see how God was changing his life. And it was, yeah, yeah. It was, it was incredible, and this is the last letter that he wrote me before he got out, and I want to read to you 
a couple of sentences from it that really drive home this idea of looking forward and not behind us. He says this. He's talking about reading his Bible and and Christian music was really influential for him. And he said, the message in them really makes me excited for the second chance that I have to get out and do what's right. A new beginning that I have, all I have to do is keep my faith in God and everything else will fall into place how it should be. It's about his way and not my way because my way never worked at all. God is so good. Indeed, God is so good. You know, as, as I read <clears throat> this letter, you guys didn't hear how he dwelled on his past. You didn't hear how he was mad at himself for the mistakes that he made or any of that kind of stuff. But you heard him write about how he looked forward to the second chance that God had given him and what his future held. That's what you heard from Seth. And for my friend Seth and for Paul and for every single believer, you know, Christ redeems our past through the gospel. Whether we have lived as the worst sinner in the world or the greatest rule follower in the world, it doesn't matter. Because it's our faith and our trust in Jesus that defines us for the rest of our lives. And are we going to live the perfect life after we put our faith and trust in Jesus? Probably not. But if Jesus has redeemed me and redeemed you through the power of the gospel, then shouldn't I desire to live a life that is pleasing to him and one that brings him honor and glory? The answer is an emphatic yes. If we're going to run the race toward the prize that is before us, then we always have to be looking forward and not backward. The second way we can race toward the prize that lies before us is by following the example of our coaches. Take a look at verses 17, 18, and 19 again. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eye on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I often told you and now tell you with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. And their minds are set on earthly things. You know, in verses 12 through 15, Paul had just told them, he had coached them to keep looking forward and to forget what lied behind. And now Paul's coaching them to follow his example and to follow those who are following his example. And he also talks to them about these other people, these people who are not following Paul's example. You know, Philippian people had heard Paul talk about these people before, and now Paul is talking about them again with tears in his eyes. These are people he calls enemies of the cross of Christ. Here's a question for you. Have you ever found yourself thinking about someone who you know is so far from Jesus that it makes you want to cry? For being honest, all of us probably know of somebody who kind of fit that description. And and listen to how Paul describes them. They're headed for destruction. They're making their appetite their God, meaning what they care about most in this life is what they can fill their bodies with. They're bragging about shameful things. They care way more about what this world has to offer. You know, before I said that Paul was coaching the Philippian people on how to walk with Christ. And, you know, often when we think about coaches, we kind of think about those in in a sports context, don't we? 
But if you think about it, everybody in here can be a coach. Because a coach basically is someone who teaches and trains and helps to teach somebody how to do something or make them better at something. And in a sense, parents are coaches. Teachers are coaches. Pastors are coaches. And, and even we are a coach sometimes. You know, in thinking about ourselves as a coach, I want you to think about that friend or that loved one in your life right now who is in need of some coaching. Some, some life coaching, because you know for a fact that that person right now, you probably already have them in your mind, you know for a fact that they are not a Christian, and they are on a really bad path in their life right now, much like Paul describes here in verse 19. And with that person in mind, let me ask you this question. Is the example of Christ-likeness that you and I are setting in our own life going to make that person want to listen to the message of the gospel? I'm not going to lie. My life doesn't always reflect that. But praise God for forgiveness. Amen. You know, Paul told the Philippian people to follow his example and to follow those who are following his example. And listen, it wasn't about Paul it wasn't about those people that were following Paul. The ultimate example that Paul's talking about here is the example of Jesus. That's the example that he wanted them to follow. And as we are maintaining that Christ-like example in our own lives, that's who we need to be focused on. We don't want people to focus on us, but our lives need to point them to Jesus I ask this because those people that were headed for destruction, who polluted their bodies, who bragged about shameful things, those are the people who need that example. They're the ones that need to be coached the most. You know, there's no doubt that God has uniquely placed you in that person's life that you were just thinking about earlier to coach them out of a life that the Bible says makes them an enemy of the cross. That's heavy to coach them out of that and into a life of following Jesus. What an opportunity for us. The thing is, are we making that a priority? You know, as Christians, this is something we've been called to do. And, and also consider this, you know, who are the coaches in your own life? Whether it's people who are spurring you on to Jesus or helping you through this situation or helping you through that difficulty, those are the coaches in your life. And if you're here this morning and you don't feel like you have that, let me tell you that this church has a thriving ministry called community groups, and those are the coaches that you can have in your life. Who's involved in a community group? Let me tell you, if you don't have that life coach, we'll call it that, in, 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 in your own life, we encourage you to get involved in a community group. Because here at Solid Rock, we believe in biblical community and helping to encourage one another to what it means to live a life that is like Jesus. And we want you to be a part of that. You know, so far we've talked about two ways that we can race toward the prize that lies before us. First, we can race toward the prize by always looking forward and not backward. Second, we can race toward the prize by following the example of our coaches. And the last way that we can race toward the prize that lies before us is by trusting Jesus to get us to the finish line. Look at verses 20 and 21 with me. 
But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You know, in these verses, Paul tells us what the prize at the finish line is, and it is being with our Savior in heaven. And I hope that you long for that. You know, he reminds the Philippian people and us that as Christians, this world is not our home. Our home is in heaven. You know, when you're born in a certain country, you're a citizen of that country. And when your life is changed by Christ, the Bible says that you experience a rebirth. You become a new creation. In fact, let me read to you a passage of Scripture from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14, 15, 16, and 17. It says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him and for, the sake, for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You've been born into a different country. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. This same truth was true for the Philippian people. You know, he implies here in verses 20 and 21 that the physical life that we live in 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 this world is just part of the race. But the finish line is heaven. You know, one day when we cross the finish line and receive the heavenly prize, it says that we're going to receive a new body. And let's be honest, this physical body that you and I have now, it's pretty frail, pretty fragile. Would you agree? It can break. It gets bumps and bruises. And perhaps worst of all, it's, it's a sinful body that we live in. But when we get to heaven... Philippians 3.21 says that our body will be like Jesus' glorious body. Where our bones cannot be broken. Where we don't get bumps and bruises and scrapes. And most of all, where it is no longer sinful. And we are going to be able to see and spend time with Jesus face to face. That's huge. You know, Paul's last words of this chapter tell us that Jesus can and will do all of this for those who follow him because of the power that he has over everything. So what's our responsibility in all this? Well, it's this. It's to simply trust Jesus to get us to the finish line. You know, and we have to trust that even when the race of life is hard. And the race of life is hard sometimes, yes or no? Yes. You know, we struggle there are times in our life where we are going through stuff that we don't know how we're going to get through it. But Jesus has power over everything. He can and wants to help you through the race called life in order to achieve the prize that is heaven. You know, there's a video clip I want to show you guys. It's from the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. Take a look. What happened in this video is this man... This racer was the favorite to win this particular race in, in the 1992 Olympics, and, and halfway through it, he tore his hamstring. You know, as he's hobbling along, 
trying to finish the race, the man who runs out there is his father. And you don't see it, but dad kind of breaks through security, and I love that they're going along. He's like, bro, get away. I'm trying to take care of my son, right? And he comes alongside his son, and he says, hey, I'm going to help you finish this race. Church, this is a beautiful example of what God does for us. You know, the race of life causes us injury, causes us injury sometimes, doesn't it? You know, it causes us to stumble, to have doubts. It gives us problems, but thankfully our Heavenly Father does not expect us to, nor does He want us to run it on our own. But what we have to do is we've got to make the decision to stop trying to do it by ourselves. This morning we've talked about how to race toward heaven, which is our finish line. First, I said that we can race toward heaven by looking forward and not backward. Remember, your past and my past does not define you and I. But when we trust in Jesus, that's what matters. It's our future and what lies ahead, and that's what we have to focus on. Next, I said that we can race toward heaven by following the example of our coaches. You know, God has placed people into our lives to help us make the right choices and encourage us to be more Christ-like. And as I've said before, if you don't have that person in your life, strongly encourage you to look into community groups here at Solid Rock. And remember, we also talked about how God could be using you to be that coach in somebody else's life, that person that you were thinking about earlier that you know is headed for a path of destruction. Embrace what God may be using you to do in that person's life. And last, I said that we can race toward heaven by trusting Jesus to get us to the finish line. You know, the life that you and I live on this earth is not all that there is. Of course, you have hopes and dreams and things that you want to accomplish and become and do, and and those are all good things, but don't make those things the ultimate thing. The ultimate thing is that you and I are constantly looking forward to the day where we get to meet Jesus face to face. And in the meantime, he wants to help you run the race of life so that when you do meet him face to face, you and him can be proud of the life that you've lived. How do we do this? Trust in Jesus. You know, if you're already a Christian, then, then I encourage you to wake up every day telling Jesus this, I want to run the race toward heaven, and God, I need you to help me do it, and then rely on him completely. Easier said than done, for sure. But if you're not a Christian, maybe today is the day that you need to tell God that you're tired of trying to do it on your own. You've tried and you have failed, and you need him to walk alongside you toward the prize. I promise you this, he is ready to do that. You just have to embrace letting him do that. You know, as our worship team and prayer partners make their way forward, I don't know where you are right now in in the race of life, but as we head back into worship, I encourage you to spend a few moments talking with God about what prize you are racing toward. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being our heavenly father that, that does walk us through the race of life. And there's no doubt we try to do it on our own a lot of the time. We think we got it. And then we realize that 
We don't. We need you every step of the way, Lord. But starting today and going forward, especially as we are at the cusp of a brand new year, I pray that 2019 is about a life that is looking forward to the prize of heaven. Looking forward to the day where we get to meet you face to face as believers in Jesus. Lord, and I pray if there's anybody here who has not taken that step before, that today will be the day that they stop trying to do it on their own and they embrace the prize that lies ahead of them when they put their faith and trust in you. And that is heaven, communion with you forever. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you that you have given us this opportunity. I pray this in your name.